Late Night City, Beyond the Dark. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you see a book called An Atheist in Heaven, you've got to read it, you've got to pick it up, and you've got to ask Paul Davids what it's all about. Hello, Paul. Hi, Peter. What Good a, to talk to you. What a title and what a great picture on the front cover. That picture on the front cover is uh, a, based on a painting of Forrest J. Ackerman, mm -hmm. who was one of the founding fathers of modern science fiction, one of science fiction's greatest promoters, born in 1916 and died in 2008 at the age of 92. He was one of my closest friends. Wow. Well, before we talk about the book, we talk about the title, which is fascinating, but we've got to talk about you first. Give us a, a potted history of who you are. Well, uh, I uh, had the ambition to become a filmmaker from the time I was a small boy. And uh, by the time I was 13, I was honored by famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Uh, Fari Ackerman was the editor and he chose uh, a childhood film I had made that had uh, a dragon in it and a robot as one of the uh, award winners in his contest. So uh, for years, I thought I would follow a conventional path. I went to Princeton University. I was pre-med. Um, and uh, then when I was in London, the night of the premiere of The Yellow Submarine, mm -hmm. I saw the film twice that night and I was completely swept away. And I came to the realization that I was never going to be happy unless I followed my dream of working in films. And uh, also uh, I was fascinated by animation. So after Princeton, I was accepted at the American Film Institute, Center for Advanced Film Studies. I studied producing and directing, which I've been doing ever since. Some of the main projects people would know, the original Transformers cartoons for Marvel. Uh, Stan Lee was there when I was production coordinator. Uh, I did 79 half hours of the original Transformers. Oh, wow. And from that, I was um, contracted by George Lucas, Lucasfilm, to write six sequel Star Wars books that came out in a special British edition, too, uh, beginning with The Glove of Darth Vader. And the last one in the series was Prophets of the Dark Side. So from there, Peter, uh, my work in film began in earnest. I became executive producer for Showtime of a rather well-known film, um, called Roswell, or Roswell, the UFO cover-up. Yeah. It had Martin Sheen and Kyle MacLachlan, the flying saucer crash in New Mexico in 1947. And from there, a, a long series of independent uh, films, uh, most of which were distributed by NBC Universal. So we had The Sci-Fi Boys, the history of special effects in movies with Peter Jackson as a host. Uh, Jesus in India, an exploration of theories about the missing years of Christ. Was he in India? Some people believe that. Um, and then uh, one of the pictures is called the Life After Death Project, which grew out of really, really strange phenomena that began happening to me after the death of atheist Forrest J. Ackerman. He was, uh, he was an atheist. He did not believe in God, didn't pray, no heaven, nothing paranormal, didn't believe in ghosts. Although his magazine, he wrote a lot about ghosts and mummies and the undead, you know, but in fun, 
it was all fiction to him. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, if uh, when I'm when I'm gone, he said, if uh, if I'm wrong and I wake up to some great science fiction convention in the sky, he said, I'll be busy, you know, re- re- reuniting with Boris Karloff and uh, Peter Lorre and Bella Lugosi, you know, the great horror actors. Yeah. He said, uh, but if the party dies down, he said, maybe I'll drop you a line. <laughs> and then he would have a, a very serious voice and he'd say, but don't count on it, hmm. you know, because he, he really didn't believe that could ever happen. The, the, the strange thing, Peter, and the reason we have the book, The Atheist in Heaven, and the documentary film, The Life After Death Project, is uh, that uh, around the time of the great tribute for him in Hollywood, 2009, March, the Egyptian theater, uh, he kept his word about uh, dropping a line. First two Canadian filmmakers who'd done a documentary about him heard from him in the strangest way after knocking, rapping on his crypt. And within a week of that, I had been, I had been a speaker at the tribute. And then one of the strangest things that ever happened to me in my life happened. And I, I, I'm convinced to this day that it was after death communication from Fari, and it was just the first line he dropped me of strange things that have continued to happen for six or eight years. Wow. <laughs> That's a great start to an interview. My word. How did mm-hmm. you cope with the fact? Did you find it unnerving or were you joyous about it? Well, you see, at first, uh, I I didn't know what was happening and I was very, very uh, frightened at the first incident that happened to me because something happened that was physical and that was literally impossible in my mind. Something happened that just couldn't happen. Um, and uh, to tell you the short version... I was alone in our vacation house in Santa Fe. I had printed out a 24-page document. I had checked it over. An hour had passed since it was printed. The ink is dry. I needed to examine the document. I stapled it, tossed it on the bed, went into the bathroom for five minutes. The document had been completely normal. So up till now, no story, right? But when I came out of the bathroom, knowing I was alone in a locked house... I could see at once that my document had been changed. Deliberately, carefully, methodically changed. A line was neatly blacked out. Words, four words actually, blacked out in two levels of darkness and whether it was ink or a solvent or paint, um, a dye, I didn't know, but it was still moist. And I knew that this front page of this document was completely normal when I had left the room. So my problem is knowing I'm alone in the house, knowing this can't be, this is not water dripping from a ceiling on a document and causing a smear or a smudge. It's not a leaky pen in the bed. You can see by looking at it, the words were targeted. This this began my journey, Peter, because I, I was cautious enough to regard it as important evidence and I knew the head of the chemistry department of Indiana University. And uh, within uh, a number of weeks, I was on a plane to bring the document to him. I had video equipment in the car. We were in his laboratory. He got involved. Then a, a professor at College of New Jersey, a top chemist who'd worked with him many years on studies of inks and solvents and paints, um, John Allison 
got involved with Dr. Siegel and they studied this ink obliteration, thinking at first that they could solve this question. What is it? How did it happen? Why did it happen? What can science bring to it? It only intensified the mystery. They couldn't reproduce it in three years of work. They dissected the chemistry. It was an inexplicable mystery to them how it happened and uh, why it happened, but they both agreed it was a deliberate situation. I had not done it. As a matter of fact, in the book, An Atheist in Heaven, I lay out uh, in great detail with help from the scientists, details, scientific reports, there's photographs, uh, evidentiary photographs, there's some graphs and tables, there's my personal story of over a hundred incidents that relate to my mentor, beloved mentor, Fari Ackerman, uh, that have happened in these, uh, in these years. And you ask my reaction, at first it was fear. I didn't know what had caused that black line on, on the document. You know, was it a black spot like the pirates used to say, you know, that you get a black spot, it means you're gonna die soon. I mean, I was just shocked. But gradually when I saw what the words were and I figured out that it was a sort of a, a pun, a word within a word game, giving a message that's just like what Fari did in life. Uh, I, I, I suspected his involvement and everything that happened in the years since with many other witnesses, not just me. Other people saw these physical phenomena. They happened to other people who are involved in the investigation. It all pointed to the survival of Fari Ackerman telling me life does not end with death. I was wrong. I was wrong. He's the atheist in heaven, if you will, but I use I use heaven in the broadest possible sense because we... Uh, please, please tell me that's not him on the phone. Let me see who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll die if it's him on the phone. No, this this is uh, almost. All right, this, right. Is, this is a, a man who's trying to reach me who um, was instrumental to a movie, I, the movie I made called Jesus in India oh, yeah, about those missing years, yeah. and he's trying to reach I've me. I've got to ask you a question about this book. Yeah. When, when this all happened to you, <clears throat> did you ever seek help from a psychic to, to find out more? Yes. Yes, I did, although, you know, I was not much of a believer in psychics before mm -hmm. this uh, happened. I did have some uh, previous experience. I had been a pro producer of segments for F. Lee Bailey, the famous uh, lawyer. You know, he was involved in the O.J. Simpson case. Right. Yeah, yeah. He had a show called Lie Detector. And one of my segments, I brought out to California Dorothy Allison from New Jersey, who was a famous psychic detective who purportedly had helped police solve a lot of cases. And we put a lie detector to her. She passed. Uh, the case she talked about where she had helped police locate the body of a, a murder victim was extraordinary. And so my mind was open. Yeah, this could happen. Um, but, uh, you know, until it happens to you, until it becomes up close mm. and personal, you know, yeah. It's kind of at the level of a story you're hearing, but now I've 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 lived this uh, for uh, all, all this time, and I I know it's true, I just know it. I like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, one of one of uh, the UK's esteemed authors, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. He often said, you know, 
I don't believe that there are spirits who can communicate with us. He said, I know it. I know it for a fact. He said, there's a big difference between believing a thing and knowing a thing. And he had the medium communication from uh, his deceased son, you know, World War One. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my case, a university professor, Gary Schwartz, uh, who had vetted different mediums, studied them, laboratory conditions, 15 years of research to separate those who think they're mediums or who may be just outright frauds or hoaxes or pulling your leg from those who genuinely had an ability to bring information across from where? From the ether? From from where? But it happened um, in, in, in which he brought a couple of extraordinary mediums into this case, one from Israel and one from Tucson. Um, so, you know, there's the old expression, you know, it put the fear of God in him. And I have to say, you know, it kind of applies to me because I've lived it, I've seen it, and I've felt it's my responsibility to record these things, to accurately describe them, to bring the scientific evidence to the table and let the skeptics look at it. You know, the Society for Psychical Research in London uh, reviewed the documentary film that I made first before this book. That documentary film is called The Life After Death Project. You can still find it. Actually, there was a sequel. There was the original documentary. It was on sci-fi. That was my first attempt at recording uh, for posterity and for evidence and science the strange things that happened with the after-death communication from Fari. And then the book grew out of that. The book was another three years of work to put it together in a way that would satisfy academic people, uh, people who wanted to see the science behind it, wanted a glossary and an index of all the events so they could study it. And, and I've done it as a sense of responsibility. I'm talking to Paul Davids. The book is called An Atheist in Heaven. When you wrote it and sat down with it, is it believable to you? I know you lived it, but did you manage to put over what you wanted to convey in the book? Oh, I think so. Um, Again, it was about three years of of work, and uh, all of my thoughts are there, my doubts uh, along the way, my resistance to it. I was dragged kicking and screaming into this. Like like I say, I wasn't looking for this. You know, I've I've done so many books. I've done over 11 films. You know, at that point, you know, in my life, you know, I, I didn't need this. I didn't need another one. I didn't choose it. But it chose me. In other words, uh, Fari uh, corrected himself after his death and provided evidence and continued incidents that were really, Peter, just mind-boggling. I mean, if you saw it, I have a mask of his face that I got at his estate auction. And it's in my office right, right near me right here. And it had been in the same place for years since that auction in May of 2009. I hadn't moved it. And nothing moves in my office. No one goes in there. No one touches anything. There's no open windows or drafts. But it was the very day I heard that the Life After Death Project was going to be televised on Sci-Fi Channel. The mask moved 10 feet across the room while I was out for lunch. And uh, 
how how did it happen you know how did it happen there's nothing there that could have blown it it didn't fall it was deliberately moved and that was accompanied by other phenomena at the same time mm-hmm. where my my video editing computers it's right there on the desk near where the mask moved to it shuts down by itself two video screens i boot it back up and when it boots back up, there's two folders open, one on each screen that were not open before it shut down. One is filled with items and files about Forrest J. Ackerman, and the other filled with files about his magazine, Famous Monsters of Filmland. So it boggles yeah. the mind. Paul, I can't explain this. I've got to ask, when the book uh, was finally finished, has he visited you and commented on the book? There have been many instances since the book was finished. And I, I, I would have to say that several of them have happened to other people. A few of the instances have happened to me. Uh, I'll give a, a couple of quick examples. Um, a friend showed me a page in Famous Monsters that was published posthumously from Fari. It was his final statement in November of 2008. He said, by the time you read this, Prince Sirki will have come to take me. That was his expression for death. Prince Sirki comes and takes you away. And he said in that, uh, he reaffirmed his atheism. But he said in writing there, you know, if I'm wrong, he said, yeah, I'll give your regards to Boris Karloff, et cetera. And I want, uh, I want to thank and dedicate this, especially to my pal and uh, uh, my best buddy, Joe Mo, the Hawaiian who took care of him the last 10 years of his life, lived with him, took care of all his business, made sure his every need was met. And uh, astonishingly, the message that I received when the ink blot. Uh, it, the, the message really was that he spoke to Joe Mo after he died, spoke to Joe Mo. And he was big on word games, like I said, and he liked words within words and names within names. So the name Joe Mo was embedded in a word that was on my document, which was I spoke to Joe Amodi on a certain date. Didn't refer to uh, Joe uh, uh, Amodi. Um, I'm sure it that spoke to he spoke to Joe Mo because when I made contact with Joe Mo, before I could even tell Joe about the ink obliteration, Joe burst forth with a story saying, in spite of his complete skepticism about all of this, he had an apparition. He was visited by Fari after the great tribute for Fari. Fari, in his own way, uh, with humor. And I got a wink in his eye, thanked him for the tribute, and then was gone. And Joe said then his room was just exactly like it was moments before, but there's no Fari Ackerman there. He said, Paul, it was as if Fari came and spoke to me. And I knew that the words blacked out on my document were, you know, spoke to Joe uh, Modi. Spoke to Joe Mo. Has he told you at all in any way? how he was received, to have an atheist up there, how how he finds it, what he finds. Has, has any of that come forth? No, but what has come forth is the fact that he his personality is the same. He, he retains his sense of humor, he, that he loved these word games when he was alive, and that a number of these contacts involved word games and documents. You know, he was an editor. 
Um, oh, I was going to tell you, Peter, um, because you asked what's happened since the book came out. Yeah. That that statement that he wrote in November before he died, um, I took a picture of it. And when I was with another friend who had just read the book and had her own uh, theories saying, you know, the word um, Amodi, um, well, it implies love of God and Amode, you know, is, is uh, thank God, Hebrew, um, Ani, thank God I'm alive. So we had this conversation over lunch and I took a few pictures of her. I wanted to remember our lunch. And when I tried to use my iPhone to show her the pictures of her, instead, the, 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 the iPhone kept coming up with the picture I took of the page of Fari's last statement that November before he died. It had no business coming up. It, I had taken 15 pictures after that. But each time I tried, that's what came up first. Or the friend who read the book, who um, uh, is an artist who's helped me with my art. I'm a painter also. And uh, she was reading the book and she she'd heard my stories over the years and she said, Fari, you know, she just spoke aloud. She went out on her patio. If this is true, you know, would you give me a sign? And when she returned to her iPhone where she was reading the ebook, she said the pages of the book began to turn by themselves at very, very fast speed, landed on a certain page, couple paragraphs highlighted in blue. She hadn't touched it, you know, and, and, and the paragraphs were meaningful in the sense that they were talking about the difficulty of communicating across this veil. So, yes, the incidents, whether by electronic means, physical means, apports, things that disappear or reappear inexplicably, whether through um, validated medium contact, whether through extraordinary synchronicities, uh, whether through scientific measurement, we call it instrumental transcommunication, all of these different fields of investigation, they amount to consilience. And in science, a consilience of data means where findings from many different fields of knowledge and investigation all point to the same answer, the same truth. That's what we have here. Paul it's has... real. It's real. And I want science to know it. And I thank your your Society for Psychical Research for their serious uh, acknowledgement of this case. Paul, I've got to ask, when you've done these interviews like we're doing right now, has he ever joined you? Has he ever interrupted you? Has he said he's agreeing with what you're saying or disagreeing or just? You can't you can't imagine, Peter. It's amazing that I'm trusting my Skype microphone today because I will tell you that last night. I was on the air for four hours on a, a show called Midnight in the Desert. It used to be Art Bell's show. Now it has a new host uh, named Heather Wade. And there began to be problems with the communication. And she was saying that my, my voice was garbled. What was wrong with my microphone? Check the connection. And it kept escalating. And then at one point she said, Paul, it's not you. It's not you. We've heard from our, um, I guess, the server. Um, there's also a shortwave radio uh, broadcast of that show. She said, unprecedented. It was down for a half an hour. They lost the show completely. It had no sound. They couldn't figure out what had happened. It was gone. And then when the sound comes back, she had a lot of call-ins from people that said, while the sound was down, there uh, – 
a computer just shut off by itself. There were all kinds of things that people reported, you know, that happened. And I said, look, this reminds me of the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still, if you remember that 1950s movie, except I said, this is the night the Earth stood still. And they all agreed. The people that were listening, the host, they said, you know, this is like Fari showing who's boss and taking over the show. And now today with you, my Skype is just working perfectly. There was never anything wrong with this equipment. So you see, it's baffling. It's really, it is baffling. Paul, how has the book been received? Well, it's very early in the game uh, because it just came out in April and we're early in May. Uh, it has some really nice reviews at uh, Amazon. And for those of you who uh, uh, get uh, An Atheist in Heaven and read it, I hope you'll you'll post more. Um, among the community of those who are fascinated by afterlife research, they feel that this 500-page book with all the documentation, the photos, the glossary, the index, and the scientific reports – is a major contribution to study in this field. Now, I don't know yet how the skeptics are going to take it, but I do want to say this. I think maybe the head skeptic in the world right now, maybe apart from the amazing Randy, would be a man named Dr. Michael Shermer, who is the executive director of the Skeptic Society uh, in Altadena, California. He's also the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. He was in my film the Life After Death Project. He gifted me a book he wrote, and he wrote this inscription to me at the beginning, and I put a photo of this in, in uh, An Atheist in Heaven. He wrote, To Paul, in respect of your honest search and integrity, Michael Shermer. This, to me, was very important because he's one of the, the, the head debunkers, the king of the skeptics, and while he's not admitting that he ex necessarily accepts my conclusion that Ackerman is, the, is a spirit behind this and causing this, he doesn't have any answer for it. He can't explain any of the phenomena. And what he's admitting here is that I'm honest. I'm telling the truth. It's an honest search. And he's acknowledging that I've done it with integrity. That's what's most important to me. I signed a sworn statement at the beginning of the book. I want people to know it's not fiction. It's not made up, it invented, embellished. No, my purpose was to tell the truth as if I was in a court of law and hopefully have people from all different disciplines, those who study the paranormal, chemists, those psychologists, those in other fields of science, and those in fields of religion look at this data and say, what do we make of this? What can we learn from it? Paul, we're running out of time and I could talk to you forever. To finish off, uh, what do you say to anybody out there that's going to read the book? What, what do you want them, when they've turned the last page, what do you want them to say to themselves? I want them to look at their own lives and rethink little things that may have happened to them that suggested that they may have had this kind of contact across the veil themselves. Because when I talk to many different people in making the film and working on the book, it almost seems like 50% of the people you talk to say, you know, I believe it because of something that happened after my mother died. 
or something that happened uh, even after my dog died. You know, people have things happen to them most people don't notice. You see, if someone had just looked at that ink obliteration on a piece of paper and had a different attitude and said, oh, God, what's happened here? Now I have to reprint the whole thing. It's a waste of my time. Crumple it up, throw it away, print it again. You know, if you're not paying attention, you miss it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm saying read the book, see all the different forms this kind of evidence can take, and look at your own life and see if you don't have validation for it in your own life. I think that's the best that can come of it. Paul, how can people find out more about you? Well, uh, for me, uh, there's a few websites. My main website is Paul Davids, D-A-V-I-D-S. Then put a little hyphen and then the word artist.com. And there you'll, you'll see my art. There's so much of it. It's in galleries. It's been on some major exhibitions. You'll see uh, my books. You'll see the, uh, the films, the TV shows, the stage play of my film Starry Night, uh, all these things that I've done. But for more detail about this phenomena, the website would be lifeafterdeathproject.com. Don't forget the word project. You won't find it. Lifeafterdeathproject.com. We have uh, information on all the people that participated in the film and uh, contributed reports to this book. The book is called An Atheist in Heaven. And I've been talking to a fascinating man, and I can understand why you do four hours on a radio show. Paul Davids, thank you very much for talking to me. Peter, thank you so much, and my best wishes to everybody in the U.K., a country I just love to visit.